and welcome to this bonus edition of the ARC Audio Review. Today we're going to be listening to an interview with the Danish literature researcher Mikkel Franzen and Makenholt is here to introduce you guys. Thanks Eva. Yeah, so I, I came across Mikkel's work a couple of years ago while he was a, a PhD student at um, Copenhagen University researching uh, depression and the writings of David Foster Wallace, Michelle Welbeck, um, and the work of the artist collective Claire Fontaine. Then he actually did an event with us a few years ago about um, brief interviews with hideous men, um, which we also had uh, Emma Holden, and we had a great discussion about all sorts of things to do with intelligent men's misogyny. And yeah, so he recently finished his thesis, and I had a chat with him about it because he's got some really nice ideas um, about how to see the world through a depressive lens, and I think there's some potential in that. Thanks, Bacon. So uh, here's the interview. I'm uh, sitting here with Mikkel Franzen, the author of Going Nowhere Slow, Scenes of Depression in Contemporary Culture and Literature, or Literature and Culture. Yeah, Literature uh, and Culture, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, which is uh, his uh, recently completed PhD thesis, which was uh, received with rave reviews, as I remember from the, uh, from the Force Bar, and will probably become a book in the very near future. I hope so, yeah, but it's still <laughs> unclear. Yes, but that's, yeah. uh, that's publishing, I believe. I think yeah. that's a... Yeah, maybe. So what I wanted to ask you, uh, maybe just to start start off this conversation, uh, is why why write about depression? Like, why now? What's what are you looking for in this in this in this topic in relation to um, literature and culture? Yeah, yeah. Um, to begin somewhere, I mean, I guess one could say that the relation between aesthetics and politics and has always been a key interest Mm. of mine. and there, that means that I've always been looking for sort of you know problems mm. that are interesting politically, but also interesting aesthetically and interesting to writers that I care mm. about. And then I try to sort of find umbrella-like terms that <laughs> can sort of you know contain all my different interests mm. and all that. And then I was actually applying with a totally different project project, a PhD project. Mm. Um, but then I quickly realized that there was something about depression as this very, you know, timely and topical yeah. problem, uh, the way in which it is definitely the most prevalent psychopathology of today. Um, and also uh, the way in which a lot of the writers that I've read over the years, it also struck me that they were also engaging mm. with the feeling or the pathology of depression. Mm. Um, Michel Ulbeck, David Foster Wallace, yeah. um, those guys. Um, so that started, yeah, with that mm. in a very prosaic way. Yeah. Um, and then it grew on me, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then um, to take it back to the, uh, the, the title slightly to maybe you know, develop this further, mm. you, you come with quite a novel take on depression um, because we, you know, it's obvious, as you say in your work, it's often considered this kind of a, an illness of nostalgia or mm. of a, an inability to let go of the past. But um, you, you have a different take. And I was yeah. if you could explain a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, maybe we should also you know, mention before we go in mm. even further that. To me, depression is psychological and mm. personal and individual, but it's also a political yeah. uh, phenomenon. That's the way that I see it, that you know, it's personal, but it's social and it's historical, and each historical mm. age sort of you know, has its own prevalent or yeah. paradigmatic illnesses. 
uh, at the time of Freud, Sigmund Freud, it was hysteria mm. and neurasthenia and those mm. very, you know, typical mm. uh, pathologies. And nowadays it's obviously depression, uh, stress, those yeah. kinds of, you know, illnesses and symptoms. And then the way it has been theorized, the question of depression or actually mm. more like melancholia or melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. It's been in relation to the past. Yeah. You sort of, you know, you lost an object and now it's in the past and then you are sort of, you know, it causes you a great deal of pain and you can't really let go and you cling to it. But it's always in terms of a temporal orientation towards yeah. the past, basically. Yeah. And yeah, I try. No, it's not proper way to formulate it the works that i was interested in and read and tried to analyze they anatomized depression differently mm. and they were more oriented towards the future yeah. towards some kind of future that had been lost yeah. before it had even begun yeah. um This loss of futurity, the loss of the future, was striking to me. Also as a personal feeling and a personal problem, but also, again, as a symptom of mm. our historical age, mm. uh, the lack of the inability or the inability to imagine the future. Yeah. Um, and then when I started reading psychological, psychiatric, empirical studies, um, it was oftentimes mentioned and giving a great deal of emphasis mm. that it was like that depression is like a curtain has been drawn on the yeah. future or it's like I can't imagine the future. We, I found all these informants and studies mm. that cited those kinds of yeah. phrases. And then when I read David Foster Wallace or Michel Lulbeck, yeah. we sort of, you know, we get echoes and mm. their own takes on a similar structure mm. in terms of temporality. Yeah. Yeah, because actually, yeah, you do find that quite a lot in uh, in Welbeck. You have this, uh, yeah, this drawing out of moments of just uh, of anguish, and then of course it's more explicitly stated in in Wallace, where he's like, you know, saying in, this is a depressed person, and yeah. this is the yeah moment to moment phenomenology of that, yeah, which is yeah, um, which is quite fascinating. And I guess also like you know, the uh, another key text for you is the is the film Melancholia by yeah. Alison Trier, and you know that wedding scene is half the movie, yeah, where the yeah it, that's quite a deliberate choice, I'm assuming, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, in terms of Wallace, there is this one person in his magnum opus, um, mm. Infinite Jest from 1996, where we have this clinically depressed uh, mm. young woman called Kate Gumbert, and she's on suicidal watch, mm. so-called. Um, she's tried to kill herself three times, I guess. And then she's yeah at the psychiatric ward, mm. and the doctor comes in, and she's lying cuddled up in her bed, mm. sort of, you know, and... Like a baby, I guess. And then he asks her about her condition as she's explaining it to him and she do he doesn't really get it mm. and he can't really understand. And then she's saying, I don't really like using the word depression. It sounds like I'm one of those self-hating types that mm. are feeling blue and looking out of the window mm. and feeling sorry for myself. Yep. And I'm not like that. And depression is not a state, it's a feeling and it's a feeling of horror And mm. then he says to her, but well, yeah, Kate, but remember this feeling has come and gone mm. over the years, right? And then she's saying, well, when you're in depression, you forget. Mm. Then it feels like that this mm. feeling of horror is all there is and all yeah. there has been and all there will be. Yeah. And you feel the second they they are 
you know, dragging themselves along, but and they are full of pain and horror, and the seconds just yeah. keep on coming, yeah. right? Yeah. And you don't have any future. Yeah. It feels like you can't imagine things being any different yeah. than they are right now, and yeah. right now is living hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, to me, he's certainly the best in describing the phenomenological experience yeah. of being depressed, and, it, it, and it's quite an intuitive. Um, Thing because you just you just imagine to yourself like you know when you're not you're not ill with uh, depression but just like a, a severe cold yeah you can't imagine not having a cold no. anymore yeah but because you have the presence of mind to rationally know that you have not had a cold at yeah. other times but because this is an illness that is affecting that ability yeah. to perceive reality um but it, yeah I guess also yeah that gets onto the next um the point perhaps is that how this uh. You 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 take this to be a, a lens through which to understand culture. Yeah. Um, can you say a bit about that? Yeah. Um, I had this sort of you know double interest. I was interested in seeing, trying to understand how the world looks um, at or upon depression. Mm. I mean, the way that depression is viewed, the status that depression has today, mm. the way in which it is pathologized and yeah. viewed as being almost immoral yeah. because being happy and being well mm. is sort of, you know, considered mm. a moral virtue. And then if you're not feeling mm. well, if you're unhappy, then you're sort of, you know, being immoral mm. or offensive to people almost <laughs> if you're not contagious even. <laughs> um, that was sort of, you know, the one direction or the one yeah. perspective, you know, seeing how depression is viewed and judged but the other question, and that was perhaps the more interesting one to me, was how the world, I mean, and that question was the opposite one, how the world looks from the depressive point of view. Right. I mean, which kind of worldview emerges, which kind of criticism even does the yeah. depressive experience contain? And I mean, going back to Freud again, he has this great word wordplay that is, you know, preserved in the Danish language, but it's not in the English mm. language. He's talking about the klagen mm -hmm. and the anklagen yeah, of yeah. the melancholy patient. There's sort, of, sort of, you know, the complaints and the accusations. Yeah. Um, and but to Freud, he was always saying that okay, you you can easily hear. A, person suffering from melancholia accusing the world of being a terrible place mm. but to Freud that always said something about the depressive patient mm. him or herself yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and to me I was more thinking well what if there is actually some truth in those accusations and what if yeah. they are not expressions of you know the interiority mm. of the depressive mm. subjects but what if they are you know statements about the world that we need to take yeah. seriously um and then recently i read this uh, book by a danish author called um Wurzelanke Olsen mm. uh, her book is called Krisehefterne the crisis evening <laughs> no, no hefter is oh, hefter, okay, sorry, sorry. Of, you know pamphlets yeah. okay, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah, right yeah. where she's talking about uh, mm. grief and it's not um, to compare grief and, and no. depression, but she's saying that there is a there is a wish in grief. Yeah. Um, there is a pain and there is a complaint and there is an accusation, mm. but there's also this wish. You long for something. Mm. And that was also interesting to me. I now, um, in retrospect, realized, um, you know, trying to understand what kind of mm. wish, what kind of criticism yeah. you find in the depressive 
yeah. experience. Yeah, because I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. No, it, it does make sense. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think yeah, I think what's really nice the way that you frame it within in, in your work where you're saying that you know this is doesn't mean the depressive person is a seer of, no. of truth, but they are they have a unique point of view, yeah. which allows for maybe certain intensities to be highlighted yeah. while others are diminished, which are the ones that we are told to pay attention yeah. to. And I think that the, the point about the wish is particularly interesting because I think the way you also frame depression is as a sort of there's a disappointment about it, yeah. which means there was even though it doesn't work linguistically, an appointment, which, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. which has been lost. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's, uh, and again, which ties back, I think, here to your notion of temporality, because there was ex- imagined, expect- expected, mm. which is always, well, not always, but has been lost. And I think, yeah, that's a, a very fascinatingly tight theory. <laughs> it's yeah. working quite well there. Um, but, I mean, yeah. you could also put it differently and just, you know, stating quite, you know, Prosaically, that even in this state of hopelessness, yeah. that depression is, you know, mm. of defined as and and rightfully so. Even this in this state of hopelessness, there is some kind of hope. Yeah, and then trying to understand what kind of hope. But in the first place, you know, taking this suffering seriously, yeah. not romanticizing the depressive mm. condition, not trying to, you know. Mm. Um, reading it too politically too fast, you know, yeah. trying to stay with the problem and the pain yeah. that inhere in depression, and then later on mm. or in the same moment, whatever. But mm. then also, you know, trying to understand yeah. what that suffering, what that affective temporal condition mm. might be a symptom of. Yeah. Um, even if depression also has its own symptoms, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah, I was fascinated by uh, one remark that um, comes up in your in your thing. I don't know <laughs> if you remember writing it because these things are long. <laughs> but um, you quote uh, uh, Andrew Solomon uh, yeah. talking about how, um, well, yeah, going back to the discussion we're having about Freud about how it's the sensation of loss which is mm. the thing, and that you are far away from your object. And I think there's a fascinating um, kind of anti, not anti, but maybe a little bit anti Lacanian turn in this. As they're saying that you're right on top of your object of desire, mm. you're intimately experiencing it. Yeah. And that is where the disappointment almost comes in. Yeah. But also where, I mean, I realized um, at some point that what I was writing was some kind of, you know, contemporary story or history of alienation. Mm. And, you know, there's been a tendency to view alienation Mm. um, as a condition where you are being too far removed from your object of desire, yeah, yeah. Uh, not only in Lacanian terms, mm. but also in Marxist terms. You are at the factory yeah, yeah, yeah. and you are estranged yeah. from the objects that you are producing. Mm. You are estranged from the working conditions, from the factory yeah, yeah. itself, yeah. Um, from the, the um, conveyor, yeah, yeah. what, no, what's it called? Um, oh, the, yeah, the, the production line. Yeah, yeah the yeah. production lines, um, assembly line mm. and all that. Whereas nowadays, the problem is not that you are too distanced from mm. your work or the objects yeah. surrounding you, the objects that you are producing or consuming. The problem nowadays is that you're too close to them, mm. that there is no distance between mm. life mm. and work, between mm. what you're doing at home and what you're doing at work. There is no distance between you and your phone or your mm. screen mm. that you are in front of which you're working, yeah. Yeah. Uh, producing. Um, and... I thought that depression highlighted some very interesting things yeah. about that particular condition in a post-Fordist yeah. society or whatever one might want to call it. Mm. Um, a sort of, you know, a historical shift from yeah. the late 60s, early 70s mm. and onwards um, where depression has emerged yeah. as the paradigmatic 
psychopathology. Yeah, it's, 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 so it's a paranormal psychopathology of within the post-industrial West in a kind of like post-scarcity situation yeah. whilst still having the enforced dynamics of scarcity at play. Yeah. That's quite, yeah, that's a fascinating yeah. contradiction. But also, yeah. I mean, depression relating to debt, I mean, mm. being in some kind of state of economic insecurity, yeah. I mean, whether you're talking about Greece or mm. Spain or even Denmark, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a different kind of debt. Yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. in bricks than in mm. student loans and all that. yeah. Um, but also, I mean, rela- depression relating to um, a, some kind of competitive society, which you also find mm. thematized uh, in the novels of Wilbeck, mm. right? I mean, where the expanded uh, battle zone, a zone yeah. of struggle, <laughs> is also having its toll and, you know, yeah. having its effective pathological consequences. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that you know that causes depression or that mm. competition causes depression, no, no, but no. there's just some kind of relation and because there, there's that inherent temporal dynamic to debt. Yeah, exactly. You're imagining mm. it, it's it's time travel essentially. It is. Yeah. You're borrowing from the future, which yeah. means you foreclose the future to someone, yeah. which is say you will pay back this debt. Exactly. Which is not a bad thing if you can afford it. No. Because you've got to transform the the present. Yeah. So that's maybe a good thing. Yeah. But it is once it becomes, as you say, toxic or like you know. Uh, Tied up in some sort of narrative of, of self, where it's a uh, yeah, where it becomes sort of a cor- corrosive to to yeah to your to your being, I guess. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I was, yeah, well, it is. I that's mean, anything to an end. It's just, di- <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm. there are those different figures of futurity at stake in my dissertation. Yeah. The, the futurity of debt is one. The futurity of competition of self-realization is another one. Where mm. you sort of you know you have an ideal state not mm. corresponding with the mm. real or the present state mm. which is also a relation between your present state of being mm. the person that you are mm. and the person that you ideally could be or the mm. person you want to be and that discrepancy or that gap yeah. or abyss yeah, yeah, between yeah. those <laughs> states are also painful yeah uh, or can be yeah, I, mean, I think I think yeah to just um, to move on and maybe like get to maybe we've been dancing around this thing, but we this conversation I guess has been haunted by the specter of Mark Fisher to a large yeah. extent because yeah, we're yeah. talking about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so and, inspired by yeah. his work. Yeah, I mean, of and of course, I think when the, by the time this comes out, it'll be about a year since uh, he died, so it's gonna be quite yeah. a landmark. I was just wondering if you wanted to. I I, I think you've um, maybe we can stick on these concepts uh, because you you draw quite a nice distinction in your work between anhedonia. And his conception of depressive hedonia, and mm. I was wondering if you could explain, expand upon that a little bit. Yeah, it it is a difficult one. Um, maybe just to begin with, again, I mean, just saying that you know that his work, uh, both capitalist realism, where he's mm. also talking about depression and this strange similarity between mm. the depressive state of mind and the depressive state of being. And the thing on mm. which he calls capitalist realism, this realism where capitalism is the only realism. Yeah. It is the only game in town. You can't yeah. imagine any alternative to it. And that kind of, you know, lack of uh, this kind of... Like end of history sort of syndrome. End of history syndrome. Yeah. This kind of, yeah. you know, the collapse of the imagination mm. and all that is also what, you know, unites depression and capitalism yeah. in a... Horrifying way. And then from that book from 2009 and up until Ghost of My Life, mm. which was a much more personal, essayistic mm. book where he's talking about the lost futures mm. uh, and the spectrality mm. and or ontology 
mm. of that. I mean, the ways in which you are sort of, you know, you're haunted, not from the past, but from the future, and not from the future, but from a future that has been lost in yeah. advance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those ghosts that are, you know, mm. that were tormenting him well, also. It's, the, it's very clear in, that, in the essay in that book on, on Joy Division, yeah. where he's talking about the this band who are both haunted at once by the like the the, the wartime experience of their parents yeah. and the sort of the crumbling of a sort of a dream of a social democratic future yeah. which they're living through so i mean and that he argues is present in the in the sonics of their music yeah and i think i think that could definitely be argued around yeah. um but yeah. i mean to come back to your mm. original question then i mean i engage in that particular di- discussion when reading uh, david foster wallace and yeah. when you read his book infinite jest but also his other books and collections of stories you get this p- picture of the subject as an addict basically mm. um people are addicted to some sort of substance yeah uh, that can be fame, that can be television, that can be MASH. Mm-hmm. I mean, the TV series <laughs> yeah, MASH. Yeah. Or MASH, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> also Potato and all that, um, MASH Potatoes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no but also, I mean, mm. sports, mm. Uh, drugs in a more mm. common understanding of, you know, marijuana, cocaine, whatever, mm. um, all kinds of addictions. I would say there is something in Wallace where you get the inability to do anything but pursue unpleasure mm. because he's very interested in those moments where a relation that to mm. an object or to whatever to a person mm. even um, to a substance when that relation goes from being eventful exciting mm. um, loving to being toxic mm. um, damaging um, sickening deadening even Um, and those reversing uh, dialectical movements in a way and there is this passage in the novel where this character who is really a weird woman Joel van Dyne is smoking freebase cocaine or crack or whatever it's called uh, (laughs) for the last time yeah Um, yeah. And when where she's talking about um, something being fun and then being too much fun mm. and then being totally unfun, yeah. Um, and there is this novel by Norwegian writer Matthias Fellbagen mm. writing under the pseudonym Abu Rasul, who's written a novel called Unfun, and that is basically <laughs> also the topic of Wallace. You know, yeah. there's some kind of fun that is quickly um, unfun. becoming unfun, um, and then. All these characters in his novels are still intoxicating. They are still unable to to detach themselves mm. from the objects or the substances that do harm to them yeah. and that are killing them. Mm. So that is what I mean, sort of, you know, with the inability to do anything but pursue unpleasure yeah. because it's not even a matter of, you know, hedonia yeah, yeah. anymore where you're just pursuing pleasure in this yeah. hedonistic way yeah, that yeah. we all tend to think about our society mm. but it's sort of you know you pursue all the things that you don't even want anymore mm. the things that you are know you, you know that they are killing you yeah. or they are making you sick or yeah it's it's a really fascinating kind of paradox of of that dynamic of yeah mm. and it's it it does you know it you you can see also the philosophical lineage that Wallace is at play, like you know, Boswell's analysis of uh, of Infinite Jest saying about this whole Lacanian game that he's playing, and he's kind of saying that there's almost that like the culture has bought this Lacanian lie that we yeah. should be 
in pursuit of an object Petier, which we can never, which will never complete us, but we want it to complete us. Yeah. It's always damaging. It's always well, not damaging. Yeah. That's not the can, but um, yeah, it's always, but it's it's a, it's a compulsion. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Compulsion is the word that I was looking for, but I. I know that you're probably more fond of Lacan than I am. I'm not oh, looking for Okay, Lacan, right. No. Um, then I can say this yeah, with yeah. a clear conscience. But I don't think that the problem that Wallace is diagnosing is is the problem of, you know, you're desiring an object or things, but then you don't really get what you wish for. There's still mm. a lack. Mm. I think the problem that he is, you know, diagnosing is that you get precisely what you wish for. You get precisely yeah. what you want. And that is what the problem is. Yeah. The problem is not that you don't get what you want. The problem is that you do get what you want. <laughs> and yeah, and that is what is you mm. know destroying people in his. But then is that the ma- is that you know getting what you want is that you basically you were not ever working with the perfect knowledge. You know you weren't working with the knowledge to know that what you want is not necessarily again. This sounds very preachy and conservative, but not what you need. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there is this moralism, mm, yeah, conservatism. Yeah. Maybe in Wallace. Yeah. That is, I mean, that would definitely, you yeah. know, put Lacan off mm. and be totally foreign to his <laughs> yeah, yeah. way of thinking. But also, you know, you worked also a lot of Deleuze and Quattari and that kind of mm. schizo like thinking. But that is also entirely alien to that kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. just, I mean, go along with it and just, you know, just be a schizo. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's not Wallace. In your no. desire. And yeah. Wallace would say, uh, no, that's a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even though recognizing that we are living in and mm. deeply entangled in a te- technological landscape and universe yeah. of s- stuff and things and gadgets mm. that you can't get rid mm. of. So that's just a basic condition. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you should just throw yourself in like mm. a maniac and just, mm. you know, Quattari like, you know, <laughs> yeah. free from desire and all that. He was definitely, yeah. you know, put some limits to yeah. your attachments or trying yeah. to, you know, get you to worship the proper things, as he said in that famous commencement speech yeah, in yeah. 2005, where he's saying, there's no such a mm. thing as not worshipping. Yeah. We all worship something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just a matter of directing your desire in yeah. the proper direction, yeah, yeah, one might yeah. say. And that is, yeah, that's the, um, I guess, the, the polemic element I found with with Wallace was that, but also he has these two things because his moralism on one hand means that he's got this um, tendency towards a sort of normative statement, which is not the end of the world, I guess, because we live by them and it's, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to pretend it's 1972 forever. But um, at the same time, but at the same time, it also that sort of uh, the, 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 maybe not the conservatism itself, but the moralism at least gives him this generosity in the writing, yeah. which um, which certainly I think opened my up because my, my work is again on popular music and the you know the the typical kind of Marxist critical analysis of pop music is this is all shit. Yeah, but it's important to people, and that recognition of things again in the things where he talks about Mash or Cheers or these TV shows, yeah. the shit is important to people. Yeah, yeah. and that's important to know yeah. to recognize. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely, I mean, because it's so easy to ridicule you yeah. know, people's desires and people's attachments saying, mm. oh, you're suffering from capitalist illusions <laughs> or you're suffering yeah. from false consciousness yeah. or the mm. things that you desire are shit and mm. it's rubbish and it's popular mm. culture. And he was like, not the first, but I mean, definitely one of the writers that I know of that was sort of, you know, very attentive towards mm. the banal and idiotic problems of, you know, mm 
basic, I mean, that sounds idiotic. I, I can hear that. But, you know, I was almost saying, you know, common people, <laughs> common man. But also, yeah. I mean, mm. he kept a lot of self-help books in his private library. Mm. That was, I mean, uh, made not public, but it's, yeah, it's possible to... Texas. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah. And I was really struggling with the question of self-help ideology and self-help yeah. books and therapy and therapeutic mm. wisdom or the therapeutic function of mm. literature even mm. that is you know for so many decades has been totally something that you do not want to mm. touch mm. within comparative literature yeah, or yeah. cultural criticism you cannot talk about therapy or the therapeutic yeah. function of, <laughs> of art i mean that's just yeah. a no-go yeah, right yeah. Uh, and i was trying to you know maybe a bit provocatively but uh, i mean trying to rehabilitate or trying to you know revisit that mm. notion because it seemed important to Wallace and I was trying mm. to go along with his way of thinking and why he kept the books the book flow the psychology of optimal mm. experience by the Czech um, yeah yeah cut uh, yeah. Thinker with the impossible name, the, the impossible Mikhaili Chechijemanjimska, something like that. I've known it once. Yeah, <laughs> and I've read it, and he annotated the books very carefully. It's yeah. just, I mean, pinks and yellow colors and notes and all mm. over the place. And I was like, why has he read that? What is that a symptom of? Why is he? I mean, mm. and I think on the one hand, it was because his pain was so deep that mm. you become desperate. You need, I mean, you mm. would accept anything mm. that works. Yeah. And that also shows in his preoccupation with, you know, yeah. what's that called? Um, NA and NA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and his, you know, of course you can ridicule those mm. kinds of, you know, treatment, mm. um, treatments for people who are addicted to alcohol or narcotics and saying it's just another kind of religion and they are just brainwashing mm. people and they're mm. doing this and mm. that. But he was really trying to understand and, that those processes, but also you know taking them seriously, trying to say, yeah. but what if they work? Uh, mm. What if they work? And what if it doesn't matter mm. how they work? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think that that kind of you know mm. thinking grew out of his depression and his yeah. desperation. Yeah. And but it's still important to you know take that issue seriously yeah. instead of you know, just you know. Mm. And I think that has been the default mode of of uh, so much cultural criticism and yeah. critical theory yeah. just denouncing those kinds of books and yeah. saying yeah. it's rubbish and but if you say that then you're also saying that so many people's problems are you know mm -hmm. not worth considering yeah, in yeah, a way yeah. and I think his his works really taught me how to you know <laughs> trying to think about that mm. um where is that wonderful provocation when he quotes the, uh, the, the one of the, the older members of AA when they say, um, your best thinking got you here. Exactly. Which again, as you're reading this book, you're thinking yourself quite smart because you're reading this quite yeah. difficult book. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's not enough, though, is it? Yeah. And that reminder is that a wonderful kind of reflective yeah. tone through the thing. Which, again, he is also very careful not to say that you know, AA is a place of um, peaches and ice cream because... That's a weird combination, <laughs> um, yeah. but he's a uh, because they 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 are they are harsh. If you have any self pity, they yeah. they will kind of yeah. shun you almost. Yeah, yeah. But he is saying that when it works, that has worked. Yeah, and that is but and that is worth taking seriously. And I think yeah, it's a, yeah quite an interesting thing to provoke. And I think maybe this will tie into the next thing I want to talk about. Um, uh, this notion that you know that uh, art is too important to uh, concern itself with the quotidian problems of. Of daily life, um, mm. in a non like aesthetic way, mm. um, 
And so, yeah, to take it seriously that it has some therapeutic potential. It's not reducible to therapy. No, no, no. But it is. No, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah. no. Yeah, yeah. But it has this, that's also a thing which is good about it. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we're not going to go full Alain de Botton here, but it's, no. but it's, it's, not a, it's not a mark against it. No. Yeah. There is this quote from uh, Franco Bifo Barardi where he says um, that in our age, politics and therapy have become one. They are one and the same. And I'm, I really think that's true. Yeah. Even though the statement is opaque yeah, yeah. at best, um, <laughs> I still think it holds mm. true, especially mm. for Wallace. I think his, I mean, also one might say that in this day and age, emancipate and here I'm actually quoting another thinker whose name I can't remember that in our day and age emancipation has become indistinguishable from reconciliation mm. or one might even say that emancipation and reparation mm. have become one because the present misery and mm. the way that people suffer from mm. the working condition from post-fordist capitalism mm. are so mm. severe mm. that, I mean, before you can even begin to dream about, you yeah. know, revolutions and schizoid yeah, trajectories yeah. <laughs> yeah. and lines of flight, you need to, you know, to, you know, to repair and, you know, just yeah. bring some comfort and yeah. therapy yeah. to people because you need to get people out of bed in the morning. Mm. Otherwise, mm. they don't revolutionize the world. <laughs> they don't engage in any revolution. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, there is this basic first step Yeah, that is important. Um, um, yeah, also even on like, and then other de levels of that because there was yesterday we were just recording the uh, the book club podcast and we we're doing the uh, the sellout by Paul Beatty. Have you right, read it? No, it's a fascinating book, but also like that level of like uh, it's it's set most it's mostly about um, Black America, really. right? And it's you know there's that level of like reparation there, which is the systemic problem here is you know it's measurable. Mm. You know it's it, it's and and. And then add to that, then you get a whole sense of a set of other pathologies based on very, very material circumstances, which are you know centuries deep. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just yeah, okay, yeah. So I want to try and move it on to yeah, this. Sorry. Uh, no, yeah. it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's, fine, <laughs> okay. this is, it's it's all too painfully fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, that's the problem. <laughs> it's too much fun. Um, uh, the focus of your work, which I think is quite refreshing to read um, in something which is within a literature discipline, um, is so much on. I guess what I would say closest parallel is something like affect theory, mm. where you're taking more of no, it's not impressionistic, but you're taking more of more of the the what's being communicated by the text rather than the particularities of what's communicating it. Mm. I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit in terms of yeah. your your own like how you how you think one should be approaching mm. study or, or research in the yeah. Digital. I don't know if that is entirely true. I mean, to me, they still you know go together. I mean. Mm. The most basic conceptual couple up here would be, you know, content and form. Mm. And of course, I I am interested in the work's own diagnosis of the time. Mm. Um, but I'm also concerned with the questions of form and the question of enunciation mm. and the formal aspects of mm. reading uh, the syntax mm. or, of Wallace or mm. all that. Um, that said... Um, Yeah, I've tried to use this notion of symptomatology, mm. uh, which I pick up from yeah Deleuze and Guattari's work, um, where it's a matter of reading literature as symptomatic or right. as or as a symptom of the world. So one might, I mean, I, I think I formulated something along the lines of you know that a literary text, to my mind, 
articulate a set of symptoms or mm. a, a set of um, depressive experiences. Um, yep. But they also respond to uh, some problems in the world through those symptoms. Uh, and I think it's important to to listen um, to those um, klagen and unklagen, mm. to use the Freudian mm. uh, terms again. Um, because, and I don't know, it's difficult to say something smart about um, <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, because I don't want to sound like someone who's just, you know, like Geo Brandes or something like something, someone who's, you know, preaching that literature should engage with the world and mm -hmm. in a very, you know... Like naive way. You know? Naive. Yeah. Um, Almost reactionary, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. still more complicated than that, but... On the other hand, it's also true that yeah. I tend to read literature or art that are, that concerns itself mm. with, you know, the world mm. of today mm. or problems that are yeah. pertinent mm. um, in their own way. And but that problematization mm. that I think that one might argue that uh, that art can become mm. a procedure of problematization mm. can take numerous forms yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and that can be a very explicit content like mm. based you know rendition mm. of the world of today but it can also be i mean it, mm. it can also take the shape of you know more formal investigations mm. into yeah problem of gender and language yeah. whatever it's just yeah, yeah but um i don't know if that's very helpful but, but i think anything anything yeah because the way that i tend to think of it is that it, sometimes i read a book and i'm just very aware that I'm looking at a very precise diagram of a very particular situation and that usually loses my interest. Yeah. Although people find a richness in it and I'm not saying it's bad but when I I prefer reading books where there's a system at play and I can see that there's moving parts to it. Yeah. So if it's if, it, if I feel like I'm looking at a very static model which might be superbly detailed I don't maybe it's because I'm instrumentalizing it too much but I feel I can't get anything out of that. Mm. Maybe I should look a little harder. I mean, there's more fractal structures yeah. in it. But the the presence of systems is what I think is fascinating to me. But then, yeah, I don't know what that. Yeah, but mm. but I I mean, one might add to that add to that that the material that is at play in my dissertation is not you know popular culture mm. as such. I mean, you you can easily or one might easily. Imagine a similar work being done on a much more broad and variety mm. of depressive works mm. from TV series yeah. to computer games yeah. to whatever. I mean, there's still some kind of, you know, literary or artistic quality to the works that I mm. deal with, which yeah. are also, you know, four yeah. chapters and four artists um, yeah. in a way that are, you know, high art in a yeah. way. Um, what I want to say that that all, I mean, dealing with that kind of, you know, art mm. in a general sense, always, you know, complicate things in a mm. good way. And it makes it hard to, you know, just read something very simple, mm. a message out mm. of something. Um, and then I've also figured out that I've always also, I mean, all over the last, I don't know, five to ten years, been very concerned with artists or especially writers who are reaching this these various dead ends or cul-de-sacs mm. in their own works. Mm which I find a very interesting place yes. from which to analyze, but also, I guess, I'm not the artist, but it could also be an interesting place for an artist yeah. to 
to to stay mm. um, that place where you you sort of you know you reach a dead end terms mm. of you know you're you're going mm. so far with this mm. particular project mm. this project that Wallace has has with I don't know the therapeutic f- mm. function of mm. fiction or the empathetic is that mm. the word yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, powers of literature yeah. which is you know it sounds ridiculous yeah but then going along and then you are trying to yeah go along with that but then you also realize and you realize that the author has maybe also realized that there is a limit to that yeah, project yeah, yeah. and that it reaches a certain yeah, paradoxical yeah, yeah. state and i i found that really yeah, yeah. interesting to work with yeah. um, where you can sort of feel that this particular artist cannot come mm. any further mm. that there is a limit to his or her project yeah. or ability yeah. to go further and 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 that also accounts for the not the drama but the the narrative of the dissertation yeah. where i read ulbeck to begin with yeah. and then i sort of you know observe that there is a limit to his fiction yeah, yeah. and that brings me to wallace yeah. and then i find this dead end to his yeah. work and that leads me on to clairefontaine a much more political mm. uh, left radical mm. uh, practice mm. and the yeah etc yeah, yeah. um, and yeah so that's yeah that's a, that's a really fast so literally all of the works that you were looking at had no future yeah almost you, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 oh yeah. okay that yeah. would be a yeah <laughs> I've never thought about that but uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I should have Oh well, I mean, you know, there's the there's the you know, and you're gonna draft the conclusion of the book, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. have the time. There's still time. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up here because we've 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 got uh, lots lots of stuff here, and we could probably be here for many hours, which we should we shouldn't do because no. it's late. Uh, <laughs> but I was, um, before I would uh, let you go, I was wondering if you could um, recommend some books uh, that we could uh, stock here. So probably within the non-Scandinavian languages, if that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we mentioned some okay. writers and authors already. Yeah, yeah. Should we repeat some of yeah, those? Yeah, I mean, so... Yeah, David yeah. Foster Wallace. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, we, ha- we have these. I mean, yeah, 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 Michel yeah, yeah. Beck, right? Um, <laughs> then, this, uh, then this French author and artist that I never managed to write about in my dissertation. He doesn't. He didn't really fit in. Mm. Um, Edouard Levy. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, his book, Suicide. Also, mm. his other books. His, mm. There are not that many, so... Mm. Um, his body of works is easily yeah. um, consumed. Um, <laughs> Though difficult to purchase these days, actually. Yeah? Yeah, it's actually quite hard to find okay. the uh, English translations of it. Oh. They were a limited print run. Oh, okay. We had them for like a while. And yeah. yeah. But anyway, sorry. But Go on. You know, <laughs> yeah. and allegedly he handed in his manuscript for his book mm. Suicide a couple of weeks before he himself committed suicide in 2007. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then the book Suicide came out in 2008 in French. And yeah, it's been translated into mm. English yeah. and also Danish. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's an amazing book. Right. Um, he's an amazing author. There's this strange logic to the suicide, but also a very paradoxical dark comedy mm. that we haven't really talked about yet. But there's also <laughs> mm. a vein, an important mm. vein in my dissertation, mm. the the comedy or mm. humor uh, inherent to to some depressive works. Then also um, Kate Sambrino, yeah. the young um, American writer, mm. uh, inspired also by Chris Kraus mm. and, and those. Uh, I think she's people. on semiotext, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think she's translated also some theoretical works, maybe like Ariana Rhines mm. and, you know, that kind of tradition. But her work, um, Green Girl, mm-hmm. about this American expat in London, or this young mm. yeah, green girl 
<laughs> living or oh, living and working in London in this mall, and she's like, yeah, sort of depressed. Mm. And yeah, it's a very good book. Yeah. Um, and maybe if we have one theory book, one theory book. Um, oh, that's a good question. Just one. Or or seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that Mark Fisher's books yeah. are worth reading. Yeah. And they are a pleasure to read, yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Capitalist realism is yeah. It's a wonderful afternoon you can spend with that. Yeah. yeah. And also but I I, yeah. I also think Ghost of My Life is mm. really good. Then Franco Pifo Baradi's books, who also, you know, inspired Mark Fisher's mm. work. Um, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, um, his book After the Future mm-hmm. is is a very good book, I think. Um, yeah. yeah, and there'll be the uh, the Acid Communism coming out next year. The yeah, last yeah. collection from Fisher, which yeah. will be a, a, a yeah similar similar to reading the Pale King in terms yeah. of frustration and yeah. happiness that exists, but also frustration that it's not finished. Yeah, but also I mean, just one yeah. last um, mm-hmm. recommendation for this digital age um, <laughs> where you don't. Okay, this is a bookshop we're sitting in, so I should yeah, say I mean, that you need to read books, but you can also <laughs> read things on the internet, right? And yeah, his, yeah. his, his a short text, Good for Nothing, mm. is maybe still one of the best pieces I've read yes. on depression. Yeah, yeah. It's very personal, but also very political, and that's mm. just an amazing yeah. little text um, on his own suffering, but also yeah, yeah. on other things. Uh, it can be found on Occupied Times. Or some, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. it's called Good for Nothing, yeah. and then you'll find it. It's, yeah, it's, it is. I've read it, and it is, a, yeah, it's powerful. Yeah. I think it's yeah, the, that folding of the personal and the quite large political projects mm. into it, which is just fascinating and doesn't feel false, but also yeah. well, it feels urgent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thanks so much for doing this, Michael. Yeah, it's Um, been a pleasure, Michael. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening. You guys can find more great, great audio content on (laughs) arcbooks.dk.